The executions were carried out at 12.35am local time on Noosa Kimbangan Prison Island. But it took up to 27 minutes for all the prisoners to die. With a spokesman for the Attorney General, Tony Spontana, saying that they were shot at 0.35 and died at 1.02 hours. A source said all prisoners died after being shot in the heart. It was not necessary for the commander to shoot anyone in the head as is the case if prisoners don't die after 10 minutes. All eight prisoners refused blindfolds and met their fate staring straight ahead, joining together to sing hymns, including Amazing Grace, as the shots rang out, according to one of the priests who witnessed their executions. What we're doing today is remembering an execution. There's a very real sense today that what we're doing is we're, kind of, we're going to a funeral. And so the, the tenor of what we're doing today is going to reflect that. But it's not an execution like the Bali Nine ringleaders. He was innocent. He hadn't done anything wrong. It wasn't 30 minutes either. It wasn't 10 minutes and then a bullet to the head. It was excruciating. And it wasn't that humane if you can even call that humane. We're not here today to argue about capital punishment. We're actually here today to remember the most brutal and unjust of capital punishments. <coughs> it's about 10 past 10. <coughs> on Good Friday, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus has probably been on the cross for an hour now. It was a dark day, a very dark day. Yet we were warned that there would be days like this. Just cue that next slide. See, in the Garden of Eden, when God first created humanity, what did he say? He said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree or you'll die. That was a warning that darkness will come in if you don't listen to me. It's God saying, I... And light, I know light. You have light when you're with me. If you leave me, darkness will come. And so humanity chose at the very beginning between light and darkness. And we chose wrong. Just cue the next slide, please. Little did we know the result of this choice. Little did we know the darkness that would ensue. We thought it would be good. It wasn't. It isn't. And we see stories in the Bible of people eating their children in sieges. We see stories of people giving their babies, throwing their babies into the fire for an idol that they're worshipping. And we see human history just keep trickling along with abuse, murder, rape and incest and genocide and holocaust and the abuse of power. And any time that you've worshipped anything other than God, you've added to this mess. I've added to it. We've brought the darkness. We all have. 
And you know, there's been many times, hasn't there, where humanity has tried to put the genie back in the bottle. We've tried, haven't we? Oh, we've tried <laughs> to put this genie back, but it doesn't work. And there's, there's almost a sense that the harder humanity tries, the worse it gets. The more we try to put the darkness back in, the darker things seem to get. Let me give you just a, a shard of good news, just a shard. Along the way, there were snippets of light along the way, little pieces of light that would just kind of peek in. You see, the first one was right after the first failure for humanity. God said, listen, I'm coming one day. I'm going to send someone who's going to actually crush the devil's head. He's going to bruise his head. But then darkness kind of slips straight back in again, doesn't it? And says, wow, that darkness is going to get him. That's the day that we're remembering today. That point where darkness had its head crushed. But the one who crushed it had his heel bruised. That's the end of the story. That's the final suffocation. And I want to just rewind a little bit. Start a little bit earlier and consider how darkness jostled and manoeuvred in order to snuff out life. We pick up the story where Jesus, after being condemned to death by the Jews, was taken to Pilate. He couldn't find anything wrong with him. And he takes Jesus out to the crowd and and he gives the crowd a choice. Is what it says in Mark 15, verse 6 to 11. It says, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Just stop for a minute. What the heck is Jesus, who's never done anything wrong, even on the same stage with this guy for? Like, you've got to just get a bit of rage about that. It's like, you should not even be standing on the same stage as a murderer. And what on earth is Pilate doing? What is he doing? Why is he even asking this dumb question? What a stupid question to ask. So, some of the early um, manuscripts of the Bible actually suggest, and this is a, this is a strange irony, that uh, that Barabbas's name actually might have been Jesus Barabbas. Now, just slot that into superhero movies and you've got for yourself the perfect villain, haven't you? He's the perfect archetypal nemesis to Jesus. He's the un-Jesus Jesus. Why do we have to make a decision? It's clear, isn't it? He killed a guy. He's in jail. Let's take him out. Let's not even have this question. Let's not even have this discussion. You see, we're like Barabbas. We're the ones deserving the execution. And not just a tame one, not just a shot to the head with a rifle or a pistol. We are the ones that deserve a gruesome execution. We're the evil ones, not Jesus. You would have chosen Barabbas. If you were in the crowd that day, you 
would have chosen Barabbas. You know how I know? Because you do it every day. You do it every day. Every day we choose Barabbas over Jesus. Every day we choose sin. We choose the things that God doesn't want us to do. We choose that stuff. We love that stuff more than Jesus. Every day we say that sin is more attractive and desirable than Jesus. See, that is what sin is. It's like you've got a, it, it's this pilot kind of choice. It's like, what, Jesus is over here and Barabbas is, which one are you going to choose? We go, we're in for Barabbas, man. That looks like fun. Everyone did. Everyone did on that day. And so we move on to the next piece of increasing darkness. Mark 15, verse 15, be on the screen there. I mean, think about this. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Just stop here. Just like, oh, you know, this is like someone hitting the brakes in the car too hard, you know, and there's a bit of whip, whiplash going. It's like, what? I mean, none of this is fictional today, folks, right? What's, no one disputes. The only people that dispute the fact that Jesus was crucified and that Pilate was involved in all this stuff are really the Muslims. And there's some high-end Muslim scholars kind of saying we need to talk less about whether Jesus was crucified and why he was, right, which would be a good thing for the Muslims to talk a little bit more about. It's not fiction today. So just stop. You just go, whoa, you know, it's a, there's a whiplash there, isn't there? It's like, what is he doing? You know, and it's, I hope there was someone in the crowd that just kind of hits his mate in the ribs and goes, what, 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 is, what is he doing? He's like life, author of life, the light, the one who's never done anything wrong, and he's going to go with what a crowd says. That's dark. See, we do this too, don't we? We swap God for the opinions of other people. What does Pilate do? You know what I reckon he does? I think he's thinking, well, just flog him. We'll give him a good flogging and hopefully everyone will be happy and then I won't kill him. Flogging was no light punishment. The Romans first stripped the victim and tied his hands to a post above his head. The whip, flagellum, was made of several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, usually did the flogging. The Jews mercifully limited flogging to a maximum of 40 stripes. The Romans had no such limitation. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, backs, back and legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and bones of the skin and finally spurting arterial bleeding from the vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is an unrecognisable mess of torn bleeding tissue in public the 
victims of Roman floggings seldom survived. This is dark, isn't it? This is dark, but it gets darker. We see that in Mark 15, 16 to 20, which should be on the screen. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Now I've got a picture on the screen of figurines. It's only figurines. But if you look at each of these section, you've, sections here, you've roughly got 40 to 50 soldiers. Do you know how many there might have been in a battalion? Anywhere between 200 and 600 men. Now that, we're getting whiplash again, right? At that point, it's like, man, a lot of us can't handle one or two people giving us a hard time, right? How would you go with it? What if there were two? What if there were 10? What about 600? What about 600 men committed to ridiculing you after you've just been flogged to the point of death? That's peer pressure. There's probably some high schoolers need to hear about that. You with me? That's peer pressure, right? Two to 600. On your case, you're bleeding to death and they're on your case and they're making fun of you. That's dark. But it's not even that. That's not even the end of it there. They're beating him up. What's on his head? Well, on his head, he's got a crown of thorns, right? You know, there would have been blood all over the place, right? The, the scalps are very uh, vascular part of the body. There would have been blood all over the place. What are they doing then? Well, let's just make that a little bit worse. And what we'll do is we'll get a reed and we'll hit that crown into your head a little bit more. Then at the end of it all, take this robe which no doubt has attached itself to the wounds in his back and they rip it off him do you know they were calling him the king of the Jews do you know what was ironic is they thought they were so right yet they were so incredibly wrong See, the, the whole of the universe was on Jesus' side. The whole of the universe. Romans tells us the whole of the universe actually bears testimony to who God is. It actually supports Jesus. Like if you're here today and it's like, no, I'm not in for the Christian thing, right? I challenge you, tell me how this world got here. Tell me how such a complex, intricate world got here. It got here because there was a designer, an intelligent designer that created it. And he's something special because what we've got here on this earth is something special. You see, that universe testifies to who he is. You see, at that moment, everyone bar the 600 soldiers in that room or wherever they were, you know, the, the whole world, all of the angels that God's got are going, no, this is, this is the man. And they're going, this is the idiot. This is the fool. And do you know when you, when you blow it up, when you, when you take the zoom lens out, I look at it and I go, it's only 600 piddly Roman soldiers. That's all it is. 
and they're all dead now. Do you see the contrast? The pressure's on, the darkness is coming. Pilate's caving into people's opinions. Jesus is under pressure. He's got two to 600 soldiers giving it to him. But they're all dead now. I wonder whether you've ever been like the soldiers. You ever, you ever done that? You ever treated God as though he were nothing? When in reality, he was everything? It's darker still. See on the screen, Mark 15, 21. So take a 18 kilo crossbar, stick it on a guy's shoulders that's just been flogged to within an inch of his life and make him carry his own execution equipment. That's dark. Imagine the pain on his shoulders. And then this shard of light isn't it like, see what it says up there and they compelled a passerby Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross like, you, hit, you just feel like that's kind of like you know whiplash again you just go what God can't do it God needs help from some random guy it's, it's just so weird. Did, did Simon know what he was doing? <laughs> did he know? Did he know who this was? And then we get to the cross and we get another shard of light in Mark fifteen twenty three on the screen there. This is strange. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This is just a little shard of light here, folks. This is strange. Something is happening here, and it's strange. Jesus refuses the wine mixed with myrrh. I mean, for probably a whole bunch of us, you just go, if I'm getting crucified, it's like Jim Beam. Let's get it going, all right? That's going to be really helpful at that point in time. You know, it's at some point, you know, and that's the suggestion by commentators is what we've got here is like a possible kind of something to numb the pain. Do you know what he does? He says no to this narcotic. You know, even the second time around they offer him wine. It's almost like, uh, you can have some of my wine. Hopefully that'll help you, you know. Maybe we'll just wait. Elijah might actually come down and help him. Just stop at this point. You know, if you think Jesus is soft, <laughs> this is not soft. What's he saying? He's saying no to pain reduction. Get that? So, someone's here and they're going, I've got a morphine drip. I'll put you on a morphine drip. He's saying, no, thank you, sir. I want to feel every bit of this. Who does that? Like, who does that? He is going to feel every skerrick of the crucifixion. He has a kind of toughness we know nothing about. It's a shard of light and then it gets darker again. You can see on the screen there, Mark 15, verse 24. 
I mean, just you just got to stop here, right? Like, this is like the king of understatements. Seriously, Mark gives four words to it, and they crucified him. You just go, <laughs> you know, a really famous philosopher, fellow Roman guy, Cicero, he said that crucifixion was the cruelest and most hideous punishment possible, and Mark gives it four words. Probably because they knew what it was like. Probably because they'd seen so many of them. Listen to this rendition of it. Simon's ordered to place the catabulum on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backwards and his shoulders with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of his wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly but to allow some flexion and movement. The patabulum is then lifted in place at the top of the stipes, the vertical beam. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached the critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now an extremist and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. All that described by Mark in four words. And they crucified him. What incredible restraint. But that's not the end of the darkness. We go on, you can see on the screen there, Mark 15, 27 to 32. And with him they crucified two robbers. Like just even think about that, right? What we've got here is we've got two insurrectionists. <laughs> I mean, even the fact that they stuck Jesus in between two insurrectionists that actually did some violent things could well be mocking in itself. Look at this guy. He was all love and he ended up like this. Those guys, at least they did something. 
one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, now, you need to know this. Like the pictures of people being crucified way up high just aren't true. People got crucified at eye level. So you've got people walking past and they're making jokes and they're looking at it's eyeball to eyeball. And they said, ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from, from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Do you like it when people mock you when you're in pain? I don't. <laughs> I hate it. Imagine being in that pain. And people are mocking you and they're walking past and they're eyeballing you. You loser. You are just a loser. You're a pathetic waste of space. The quicker you die, the better. Imagine breaking your arm and people just making fun of you over and over and over. And isn't it's just as a quick side note, isn't it just an amazing little section there where the, uh, the church guys, they're the ones that are meant to champion Jesus. Yeah? They are. It's like, where are your leaders, man? They're like the leaders for God. What are they doing? Well, they're mocking him too. And what are they saying? Well, they're saying something true, but they're getting it so wrong, aren't they? They said, he saved others. He cannot save himself. It's you or him. You see, we're back to the Barabbas thing, but they don't realise it. The Jews don't realise it. We're back at Barabbas. And it's like, and they're right. And they're going, it's either Jesus or me. It can't be both of us. Because of what we've done, it cannot be both of us. And then we get to the last pinnacle of darkness in the story. And this is where it gets pitch black. Mark fifteen thirty three to 34 on the screen there. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to do that again. You can put your hands over your ears, but let's just get in, in roll a little bit here. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It gets dark because the offence of every single person on this planet got poured into Jesus. That would kill a man. That would kill God. We know this from 1 Peter 2. The disciple Peter wrote this. He said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You see, you may or may not know this, but in the Bible, when darkness happens in a daytime, it's not a good sign, all right? It is not happy days when darkness happens in the middle of the day. Darkness during the day in the Bible is a sign of God's judgment and displeasure. You know what was happening to Jesus is God's judgment and his displeasure was coming down upon him because of your junk, because of mine. This is the greatest pain. Oh, the scourging, that's nothing. That's nothing. Oh, the, 
the nails in the hands and the feet. Oh, that's nothing. This is it. And light disappears. I want you to think just for a minute. What is the worst sin that you can imagine? What's the worst sin you could imagine right now just sitting here? What's the worst, most evil deed? Let's take it the next step. What would that feel like? setting aside justice for the moment like if you just gave that to someone else what would that be like and then just think about what would it take what kind of punishment what kind of corrective justice would it take to actually fix that one up that's what jesus took and you know in the middle of all of that the most important thing to jesus got lost his relationship with his father and i want to say this to you really clearly today i want you to hear this jesus lost the infinite love of the father because of his infinite love for you hear me when i say this jesus lost the infinite love of the father because of his infinite love for you see if he was going to get you back it actually came down to whether he was just able to keep things going with his father or whether there was going to be a breach there because of all of our junk that got poured into him you see, you know how this works. You know, the longer you love someone, the deeper you love someone, the greater the love that you have for them, the greater the torment at the separation. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's what it is. And this is what's happening to Jesus. I mean, you think, well, how long has Jesus and the Father been together? Life forever? Like before time even began? Oh, they've, they've never not been together? How much, how much do they love each other? Oh, you, wouldn't even, you, you couldn't even imagine you know, in all of eternity, if you had the powers to do it, superhero powers, you could not imagine the amount of love that Jesus had for his father and his father had for him. But he loves you too. <laughs> and it's not flimsy. It's not flimsy love. So there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond here. We're going to have communion today. And it's probably going to be really messy because there's a lot of people in here and I'm going to ask you to come out right and the reason I'm going to ask you to come out is because communion actually says I I'm in trouble I've propagated darkness I still do there's no hope for me it's it's Barabbas I'm Barabbas it's 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 me and Jesus and I'm hoping he's going to put his name forward because I don't want to die I don't, I don't want to cop the punishment for, what's, for what I've done. That's, that's going to hurt. You see, you know what communion is? Communion is not for everyone. See, you wouldn't say dumb things about someone at a funeral, would you? Someone who had died. You know? And communion's just a little bit like that. It's like, well, you're just not going to come forward and take this thing if you're not desperately in need of it. That would be an insult, right? You, you with me on that? If someone's done this for you, you just go, I'm not mucking around with that. You know, like a... Pfft. And so today, I'm just going, look, if you're sitting there and you're just going, oh, I could give or take it, don't take it. But if you're sitting here today and you're going, I am so ridiculously in need here and Jesus is my only hope and I'm running to him... <laughs> For help, 
with this situation that I've got myself in, that all of humanity's got, got ourselves in. I'm running for all the junk that I've done and I can think about the stuff I did yesterday and I know some stuff I did a couple of days ago and, and that I kicked the dog and yelled at the cat and, you know, punched the brick wall, you know, because I was angry and I yelled at my kids and maybe I had conflict with my wife or I've just done a whole bunch of really dumb things that have just brought a whole bunch of darkness in my life and I'm living in the consequences of that darkness. This is for you. The juice says it's, it's Christ's blood. It's like, it's a participation. So you come forward tonight and you're going, yeah, I've got a problem with darkness. You know, it's, it's like the AA thing, you know. Hi, my name's Peter, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Peter and I've got a problem with darkness. And, and I'm, 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 I've tried to stuff that stupid genie back in the bottle, but it's not going back in. And my only hope is to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And if you don't help me, that's it. There is no plan B. C, D, E, F, G, Z, double A, double B. I don't care. What it, there's no other plan. You know, the Bible says that, that there's no other saviour for you. If you don't come to Jesus, you don't get saved from the stuff that you're in trouble about. Do you get that? And so it's cool. I'm going to pray in a minute. It's cool. Like if you're sitting there and you go, no, I'm not at that place. That's cool. But I am going to pray for you and we're going to pray and then we'll give you an opportunity to come forward. Why don't you stand with me while I pray? If I can have uh, Nathan and Cole, if you can come forward. Hey, Matt, would you mind coming forward too, mate, if you're free? Thanks. Do you know what's so... You know, it gets me excited about this day. You know what makes Good Friday good? is this could be the goodest day of your life. If you've never decided to actually follow Jesus, this could be the goodest day of your life and it would lead to every other day being gooder than every other day. Are you with me? Here's the thing. You could have come in here today and just gone, don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And right now, God's speaking to you in your heart and he's going, you need to have something to do with Jesus. You've got a problem with darkness. All right? And right now, you could actually, in your heart, when I pray, you could say, Jesus, I've got a problem with darkness, and I'm in trouble, and I know you're the only saviour. And you could run to him in your heart and say, please help me. Please forgive me for all my stuff. And you could take communion today. If you do that in your heart, you come forward and you take communion. It's for you. It's for people who run to Jesus. Why don't you pray with me? God, we have sinned. We have loved worthless things more than the infinitely valuable one. And that's treason. That is a cosmic treason. And we have no defence team. We don't have a Queen's Council. We have no barristers. There's, There's not even any kind of court case that's going to happen that's going to deem us guilty. It's just, that's clear. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows we're guilty. It's a sentencing kind of, or almost a sentencing is where we're at. And we're really, we're just, you know, God, for, for everyone who, who, just, who loves you and has run to you already in their life, God, I... Just I ask by your Holy Spirit that you'd speak to us and that you'd help us to run to you today. Just say, God, we, we, 
we're in trouble. We're still in trouble. Even though we're in your family, we've still got this darkness. We're in trouble and we still need Good Friday so much because we're not where you want us to be yet. And God, I pray for anyone here today who's never run to you. And God, I pray that they would just have been impacted today by you and the fact that this really happened. That God broke into human history and he did something really special. Jesus has come, anything can happen now. And God, I pray that you'd help them to run in their hearts to you. Help them to run in in their hearts to you. That they would know someone who loves them so much. Someone who is willing to go to the lengths that you went to, Jesus. To love them and to care for them and to look after them. So God, as we, uh, as we take communion today, God, would, there be, uh, would you help it to be an intermingling of the physical and the spiritual as we take it? God, as that juice, as the, as the bread becomes intimately part of every cell of our body at some level, so you would be part of every single part of our lives. You're good. And what you've done is good. And the place that you've put us in is good. And your love is good. Amen. Mark 15, 37 says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry. He uttered a loud cry. He said, It is finished. It is finished. Now, you sit there and you go, okay, so he uttered a loud cry. No, people who get crucified don't utter loud cries right at the end and then breathe their last. That's not what they do. It's it's not the script, thanks. It is not in the manual that the guy's meant to yell out something before he dies. You know what's in the manual? Life ebbs away and it silently disappears. After six hours of torture, he goes out with a bang, doesn't he? This is kind of like meteorite through the Earth's atmosphere. He's going to end up being nothing, but he's not going down quietly. And he goes out with a bang right at the end. It is finished. And here we have the strangest blend of light and darkness, don't we? What is going on? Darkness just got its most significant scalp. It was its finest hour. It was darkness's greatest achievement. You can imagine it, you know. It's just, we got him. Yet even in the midst of a celebrated victory, this cry of Jesus sends a chill up the spine of darkness. <laughs>